0: Colossians chapter 1, please, Colossians 1, and our text this morning is verses 15 through 20, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, life is filled with struggles for priority, things clamor for our attention. And there are a lot of good things that vie for our priority. Like what, what should I focus on at any moment in my life, and which direction should I step, and what should I be concerned about? And there's things that that it's it can be hard to order things sometimes. And well, my finances might be doing well, but now my family life might be struggling. Or oh, I feel like my family life is doing well, but now my 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 work is suffering a little bit. Or all of these issues of life that. Just need to be in balance so much, and they fight for first place. The book of Colossians, if there is one theme that rises above all the others, it is this that if you put Jesus in first place, if you, if you, I shouldn't say if you put Jesus in first place, I should say if you recognize Jesus in first place, all of life will order under him. All of life can be ordered unto him. And so what I want you to see is you'd say, well, Ethan, it's a brand new study and a brand new book. Why aren't we starting in verse number one? Well, we'll look at verse number one next week. Verses 15 through 20 are really the meat of the message of Colossians. And I think everything in the book flows from these verses. And so today's message is Jesus in first place. And so let's read verses 15 through 20. Of Colossians chapter number one. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And to make sure we don't lose sight of where we're at, who is the him? The him is who? Jesus. We're speaking of Jesus, the son. All things were created by him and for him. In verse number 17, and he is before and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Did you notice the repetition all throughout the passage? What was the repetition all throughout? Him, of him, in him. By him, for him. Him, 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 him. And that is what this passage just dramatically calls our attention to. Everything is about him. What instruction, what was given in here, in these verses, you won't find anything at all about us, primarily. Now there's a lot of us in relation to him, but this passage is. Fixed completely on him and his glory. So I'd encourage you to think for a minute that the sermon today is, yes, it's instructional. But the sermon today, based on the text, is a sermon of worship. It's a sermon of recognition. It's an opportunity for us to say, it is not about me. It is about him. Jesus in first place. Let's pray. Lord, help us, I pray, as we continue today. Lord, we need your help. Lord, this passage is is just so filled with truth and so filled with, with your glory. Lord, we're not capable of, I'm not capable of explaining it sufficiently, and we as people are not capable of really grasping it. So we need the help of the Holy Spirit this morning. We ask for your presence. Lord, we ask for you to speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would hear your voice today as we see your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we'll dive right into this, and I'd encourage you, the book of Colossians is a book that normally I like to preach through pretty large sections of scripture. It's not uncommon for me to tackle 15 or 20 verses in a sermon, but we're not going to do that very often in this. We're going to look a little bit more closely at the individual sections. And so, I'd encourage you to take notes, I'd encourage you to mark things in your Bible, um, and we're going to try to get a really a glimpse and a handle on the entire theme of this book over the next few weeks. So in verse 15, I want you to notice as we introduce the passage today, you just get floored by this opening statement, who is, and that's not a question, it's a descriptor, so Jesus is who, is, who is Jesus? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. There have been many, many religious leaders who have come on the scene to point to God, to tell you who God is or to describe what God is like. But it's Jesus who came and you could look at and you could say, do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God is like? All you have to do is look at him. Just look at him. And as you look at him, you don't see a man who tells you about God. You see the image of God. In fact... Um, it's going to be, it's, it's. we're going to see this even more. But when you see Jesus, you see God. Do you remember back a few weeks ago or a couple months ago when we were in the upper room and Jesus, the disciple, asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And he said, have I not been so long with you? Don't you realize if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The image, the idea here is it is not just an image in that all of all of humanity bears some of the image of God, right? Genesis teaches that we were all created in his image. But Jesus is unique in that he is the express image of God. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 1 and verse number 3, I'm getting a little bit out of, out of order here, but Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, there's another description of this. It says this, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, and could you say this statement with me, and the express image of his person. If we want to know who God is, we simply look at Jesus. This theme is all throughout, especially the book of John. In John chapter 1, in verse number 18, the scriptures say this, No man hath seen God at any time do, do, do you see the how is this similar to colossians 1:15 he is the image of the what the what kind of god invisible god god is a spirit they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth so speaking of the father god the father and this message is going to focus a little bit on the triune nature of god the trinity father son and spirit so speaking of the trinity Uh, Speaking of the Father particularly, no man hath seen God at any time. However, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. Notice present tense, not past tense, not future tense, but a continuous state of existence. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath what? Declared him. In John's gospel, Jesus is the word, in other words, the statement of who God is. Here in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the deity of Jesus is probably, well, I I don't think it's probable, I think it's, it's certain. The deity of Jesus, the fact that he is both man and God, the fact that Jesus is God is the central truth to Christianity. Everything hinges on who Jesus is, and he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. Now we come into the explanations of how Jesus is first place and where. And I'd like to show you three things this morning. If you'd turn over in your notes and follow along in the scriptures, I want you to see from Colossians that Jesus is first over creation, Then I want to show you that Jesus is first over his church. And thirdly, Jesus is first over salvation. And that is what's explained here. Now, the application is crystal clear. If Jesus is first in all of those areas, then certainly he should be first, have first place where? In my life, he should be first. But what the scriptures always do is, and you see this throughout Paul's writings especially, is they don't just give us a statement like, hey, make Jesus first place. They don't do that. There is time spent early on laying a theological foundation, laying a foundation of truth and revelation about who God is so that we fully understand why it is that we should put Jesus first in our lives. Now, You'll notice in verse 15, and we'll look through verse 17, that Jesus is first over creation. Look at verse 15 again. Who is the image of the invisible God? Now, this next statement is really important. The firstborn of every creature. Circle, underline, mark that word, the firstborn. Now, there are some who would deny the deity of Christ. And they have been with us since the very first centuries. There are heretics that have risen up, and the church has had to deal with this time after time after time. There are some that would deny the deity of Jesus, deny that Jesus is God, and they would say, oh, well, look at this passage right here, that he is the firstborn. And so that phrase has caused trouble for some, and I'll give you uh, some clear explanation this morning of how it doesn't need to cause you any trouble. Um, but notwithstanding the explanation, if you just read it in context, if you read it in context, it's clear who Jesus is. First we saw that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. But now look at verse number 16, "For by him were all things what? Created. Question. Do creatures create? Who creates? Creators create. Creators create, so this idea of Jesus being the firstborn of every creature does not mean that he belongs to the creation, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Hang tight with me. I want you to see the context first, and by the way, for those of you that like to study the scripture, when you come to a difficult passage or a difficult word or a difficult area, one of the best things you can do is not stop there, but just keep reading the flow of the passage. Because usually, as you read the flow of the passage, difficulties resolve themselves. And then sometimes it's helpful to go back. So that's why I'm doing that right now. So for so he's the firstborn of every creature. And now verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, A few of the things that were included in here, notice, things that are in heaven and in earth. What are the things in heaven that were created? The angels. Exactly. So we are seeing here Jesus is not just earthly creator, but Jesus as heavenly creator. So everything that exists, everything that exists is created by Jesus. So, let's back up. What does this mean that he is the firstborn of every creature? Well, as hopefully you've underlined, circled, or you've drawn attention in some way to this, state, this word firstborn. When you study out firstborn in the scriptures, you find very easily, this is not a stretch, this is a very easy conclusion to come to, that the word firstborn can have two meanings. The one meaning is how we typically refer to it. We refer to it in a chronological order. So, my family had eight children. My parents had eight children. They have eight children. And I am the firstborn in chronology. Now, there's a the second use of the firstborn that was common in ancient culture. And it's used throughout the Bible. We don't use it today. And that is the standing or the status in the family. In the Ancient culture, if in almost always chronology followed standing. So if you were born first, what did you get in the family? Pretty much, Cheyenne got it right. You got everything. Are you the firstborn? Okay, so you're like you got that one down. You're like, oh okay, yeah, I like this idea. In 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 these cultures, if you were the firstborn, you got it all. The inheritance came to you. Now, that didn't mean that, that everybody else was totally left out of anything. There was no blessing. But you had special status. The family was carried on through you. But sometimes in the Bible, did the, did the chronology, was firstborn status sometimes out of order with first birth? It was. Sometimes there was, it was rearranged. Jacob and Esau. Ishmael and Isaac. Firstborn is the rank, it is the place in the family. When God declares Jesus to be the firstborn or the only begotten, it's not referring to his birth in Bethlehem. Obviously, that wouldn't work, would it? Because he didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. So someone said, well, maybe it's referring to the he was the first one created. That's a problem because he, is, he was the creator of all things. The point of this is Jesus in the Trinity and in the universe, Jesus has been given the title and the right to inheritance of the firstborn. Jesus is, as I put it, the royal son of the entire universe. He is the one that has the right to claim the throne. And you study this this out all through the Bible. That's why in the book of Revelation, they will look for one who is worthy. Where is there one who's worthy to take the scroll, to open it up, and to loose the seals? And who is it? There comes one, like the Son of Man. It's Jesus. He is worthy. The Lamb is worthy. He is the one who receives the right to the kingdoms of the world. Do you remember when the devil tempted Jesus, and he said, oh, if you will bow down to me, I will give you what? All the kingdoms of of the world. Jesus doesn't bow down because he knows in the end he is sovereign. He is royal lord. He is firstborn in all the universe. He is before everything. He he is first above all. There's a great reference to this in Psalm 89. Little Bible trivia. Psalm 89 was written by Ethan. That's kind of cool for me, but anyway, the rest of you probably don't care about that. Psalm 89 And verse number, some of you are like, oh, I didn't even know what's in the Bible. Wrote some of the Bible. There you go. So, Isaiah 89 here is speaking of King David. Obvious, because I've got verse number 20 up on the screen. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I what? Now, before we move on, I have anointed him. What is the anointing happening? It's set when David was anointed, he is now what? The king, the sovereign. King David was anointed. Now, you could read the next several verses, and you'd find all descriptions of David and his kingship and his power, but we're going to skip down to verse number 27. Also, I will make him my what? Firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Well, David is obviously not born physically of God. David is also not even the firstborn in his household. He's at the end of a whole list of brothers. But he is referred to as the firstborn because he is the king. He is higher than the kings of the earth. This is what is being spoken of about Jesus. In fact, this is just a really spoke about David. But it's a prophecy of Jesus. But you can look at every ruler in all the earth. You can look at every impressive thing, every imple- impressive person. But guess who trumps them all? King Jesus. He is the royal son. He is the firstborn of all creation. You've, also in the Bible, you find Israel referred to as the firstborn of the Lord. So that problem is resolved pretty quickly and it actually shows us even a a more full picture of who Christ is, that he is the only one with the right to claim that title and that position as the royal son. And so you'll notice three things as Jesus being first over creation. He is creator, he is Lord, and he is sustainer. You'll notice the, the phrase, by him, for him, and by him all things consist. Let me show you a few things as we move through this. It says in verse number 16 For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's creator, he is Lord. Uh, We covered the creator, but he's also Lord of all of his creation. And we live in a day where people will, they will live for much lesser lords. There are people that will live for the Lord of science. There are people who will, there are people who will live for the Lord of government. There are people who will live for the Lord of technology. They will live for things that are philosophical. These are all things both visible and invisible, But no matter what they are, all those things bow a knee to the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. Science bows the knee to Jesus. Nature bows the knee to Jesus. All of politics and government systems bow to Jesus. All the principalities and spiritual forces, whether they be angelic or demonic, all of them bow the knee to Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is first over creation. Secondly, he is first over the church. Now what's happening is it's it's the, the telescope is kind of zooming in. The lens is focusing in now where it hits home for us. And he says in verse number 18, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word preeminence is a magnificent word. The idea of being eminent, of being eminent would be, if I said that the the eminent professor of physics is going to come, we would say the highly regarded one, the impressive one, the person of great importance, it is an, he has an eminent role or he's an eminent person, but in ahead and before all people and positions of importance and significance comes not Jesus, the eminent one, although of course he is eminent, but he is pre-eminent. Everyone plays second fiddle as they say to Jesus. And I think about this, and I think about the, what we already read, but the, and I'm kind of going a little bit back to that first point, but I think about all of the struggles in the world and all of the conflicts and, and, and all of the people that are exerting their will and their power. And, and, and I, I got to meet this past week a, um, a refugee family from the Ukraine. And it really kind of hit home. You know, it, it was all just on the news and political argument. But I met a family that are now living in, in Canada um, displaced. People that love the Lord, they've served God, in their, they've been displaced. And I just thought about the senseless aggression of a ruler like Vladimir Putin. The senseless aggression of, and, and, and that's not the only government. There are all kinds of governments. And whatever your opinion about the politics, the fact is this. That the actions of, of governmental powers, they they hurt people, real people. And we debate policy and all of that, but the good news is there is a king and a ruler above all rulers. And there's a justice. You know we're gonna see, we're gonna watch men and women. ...debate over why they should be considered the eminent ones... ...to be elected president of the United States. And, I, and I've thought about it more and more. There's not a, you, you will not see a single person, I don't think... ...that will come up and will, and will follow the biblical principle... ...let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. You will watch politicians, one after one... ...literally tell you how good they are... ...what they have done... How much they have accomplished, so you should vote for me. Is there any more prideful exhibition in our in in society? Just think about it. Like what what like how would a how how in the spirit of Christ, how should a Christian run for government? That would be an interesting, interesting thought. It's kind of a challenge. For, for for our views on these things, but it's not about. But but regardless of political outcomes, regardless of world powers and war and all of that, there's only one. There's only one king who is sovereign forever. It's Jesus, and they all bow the knee to Jesus. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, and everybody in the spectrum. They will all one day bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we serve at the pleasure of the King. And he's not just the head of the universe, but he's the head of the body. The body is this right here. We are the body. We are gathered. That word head means it refers to authority. Jesus is the authority. He is the head of the church. There is no such thing as a pope. There's no such thing as a pope. I mean, there's a thing. You know what I mean. But it's not a scriptural thing. It's not even a thing. It's make-believe. They, they just crowned King Charles and his you know, protector of the Church of England. It's not a thing. Well, it's a thing, but it's a Just pretend. Just pretend. In the same way, a pastor who usurps authority and views himself as sovereign over his small flock, that's, that, that's just make belief Because the, the head of it all is Jesus. He's the Lord of the church. This is his church. Uh, pastor Eric was doing a, a message in the adult Sunday school today about a casual brand of Christianity that now is pervasive among the churches. And and casual Christianity is not about how people dress or what kind of music they, they have or any of that. Casual Christianity is actually about the attitude of the heart that says, well, I'll take what I can get from Christianity and my relationship to the church, but I don't know about being fully surrendered all in. Listen, this generation, just like every generation before, we do not have the right or the authority to redefine what the church is. It's not our church. We are stewards in this generation. The church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given it to us. And we are going to hand it off to the next generation. But it doesn't always happen. There are some churches that actually cease to be a church of the living God. And they have nothing to hand off to the next generation. But regardless, the church will spring up again somewhere. If it it dies over here, it will be reborn over here. Because it is his church. And it will go on. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But let us make sure... That if Jesus, and this you're like, oh, I'm going to run out of time, so I better address the firstborn from the dead. That's a really cool statement there, because the church is the church of the living, not the dead, right? Church of the living God, we are living people. The, The firstborn from the dead means this, we all follow Jesus in his resurrection. We all follow Jesus in the resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the... He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who goes before us. He is the one who conquered death. And it is that resurrection life that makes the church what it is. But in all things, church, Jesus needs to get the preeminence. So that means when I come into worship, when I interact with believers, when I do everything... I am not the one. The attention is not to be on me, but the focus is to be where? It's on him. He is preeminent. He is above all. It's not my agenda or what I want or how I want my needs to be met. Wait, it's Jesus. It's about him. Listen, you'll come in. Let's just go to the, the worship gathering. You'll come in sometimes and you'll be like, wow, that music really blessed me. And there'll be other weeks that you'll say, eh, it wasn't really on today. There'll be times where you're like, man, Pastor gave a great message. It really spoke to my heart. There'll be other times where you'll be like, yeah, I just wasn't feeling that one. It's hard as it is for me to admit, you know. There's some duds out there. But, but those aren't the questions. The questions are, was Jesus magnified? Did Jesus get the preeminence? Because in song, in word, in action, as long as Christ is magnified, he is pleased. And that's what we're here for. In all things, he might have the preeminence. You say, I'm just really struggling now knowing, like, you know, my I, I'm having trouble in this. I'm having trouble with my health. I'm having trouble with my marriage. I'm having trouble in my finances. I'm, I'm struggling in in this area of my life, or maybe you're in school, and you're like, I'm just struggling here, and, and I just can't find time, I can't sit. Listen, Listen, just put Jesus preeminent in your life. Start every day. I love what, I think it was John that shared in the testimony that we used to talk about the devotional in the morning, right? That you had a devotional, and there was something about when, you started, when he started that moment focused on the Lord, focused on Jesus, that he was ready for the rest of the day of serving God. In all things, he gets the preeminence. So let's just take out of theory and theology for a minute and let's just put it into practice. Just in your car, before you step out to walk into your office, just say, Jesus, you're first place in my workplace today. You're first place. In, in our lives, when we wake up, Jesus, you are first place. In all things, you have the preeminence. He's first over creation. He's first over the church. And finally, he. this is just a magnificent conclusion to this section. He is first over salvation. He's the captain of our faith. He's the forerunner, the author and the finisher. He's the first in salvation. And I want you to understand this. Please listen carefully. The greatest need that every human being has is the need to be forgiven of our sin so that we can have a relationship with God. The most important thing is that we would be forgiven. Our sin separates us. Our sin makes us unworthy of coming to God. Our sin makes us unworthy of heaven. And our sin makes us deserving of hell. And we need to be saved. We need to be reconciled, redeemed, and Jesus goes first. But here's how religion messes this up. Religion puts who first in salvation? Us. Religion says, well, I... See, the good thing about religion, and some of you grew up in very religious backgrounds, where you were told right and wrong, you were told that you were wrong, but where many religious and even Christian religions get it wrong is they say they diagnose the problem you have a problem you are not right with God you need to be saved but what they do is instead of putting Jesus first in salvation we cut the line and we put human effort first and we say okay well I need to be right with God so what do excuse me Jesus what do I need to do how many of you ever been cut in line before You know what I'm talking about? You you like you talk about a keen sense of justice. Just watch somebody cut you in line. It's just not just. You don't belong there. In fact, you belong back there. Hey, there's the line, buddy. How many of you ever said that to somebody before? You know, there's the line. Well, when it comes to our salvation, any time a human being or a religious system cuts in front of Jesus, we are stepping where we do not belong. He went first in salvation. Look at this. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus is the first in the Trinity he has been given a name that is what? Above every name. That at the name of Jesus, Yeshua, that Josiah shared with us. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue should confess. There is Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of of Jesus it's a name above every other name of God there was no sacred name in the Old Testament than Yahweh or Jehovah yet Jesus has been given it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell you might say well what exactly does this mean well he, he explains it later on in chapter number 2 so and I put that in your notes Colossians 2 9 for in him dwelleth all the fullness of Of the Godhead, that's the trinity, bodily. So all of, and I don't understand this. If I could understand it, then I would be God. If you could understand it, you would be God. This is one of those things that makes God God, that he is three in one. There's a Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. But Father, Son, and Spirit all agreed that the fullest expression of who he is, of of who they are, they are one. You You know, the grammar doesn't, we don't even have the right grammar for it. But the full expression of who God is should be found in whom? In Jesus. But in Jesus in the form of a body. Amazing. That the bodily form of Jesus is where all of the glory of God is seen in its fullest. He's first place in the Trinity. And then look at this. The Godhead made a a sovereign decree, verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, by him. The father gave and the father suffered on the cross, but the father wasn't the one on the cross. The Spirit suffered on the cross, but the Spirit wasn't on the cross. It was the Son who said, I will go, and I will make peace. And somehow in the sovereign decision and the sovereign relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, it was agreed that the Son, from eternity past, it was known that the Son would go he would go first the father would send and the spirit would empower and the son would go and he would make peace and he went first he went before all of us and as the line as the line of sinners stood ready to be condemned and as the line of sinners stood there and the sentence would be a foregone conclusion guilty 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 guilty, and a line just into infinity of guilty sinners. Jesus said, I will go first. And he stepped to the head of the line. And at the head of the line, he took all of the guilt and all of the sin of all of the sinners, like you and like me, and he said, I will go first. I will take the wrath and the punishment of sin first. And he made peace when he shed his blood on the cross. Having made peace. Peace with who? Peace with himself and us. Peace between God and man. He reconciled us. He brought us together. He solved the sin problem. To reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say. Whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you and I, all human beings, have a choice. We can stand there in line and we can say, no, I'll step to the front of the line. I'll on myself. I think I can be good enough to appease the wrath of God. I think I can try hard enough to overcome all the sins. But the fact is none of us will have anything to offer. Jesus made the way. It's just like, we don't know the exact chronology, but when Jesus died on the cross, there were two thieves on either side. Guilty sinners on either side of Jesus. The one cursed and died. The other cursed, but then repented and said, Lord Jesus, remember me you come into your kingdom and i don't know the exact chronology but i know they were surprised at how quickly jesus died i have a feeling that on that cross i have a feeling that jesus died first and when that thief breathed his last breath a few hours later he was welcomed by the arms of jesus that very day into paradise why because jesus goes first He went first in the most important thing in all of our lives. He's first in the church. He's first over the whole universe. We, we should be willing to yield our lives to him and say, Jesus, you are first. And I recognize you as first in my life. So I always end with two questions. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been? Are you sure? Has there been a time in your life where you said, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't about me saying I'll earn my way to God. It wasn't about me saying I'll be religious enough. I repented of my sin and I asked Jesus to save me. Has there been a time where you've done that? And if if you are not sure, then why don't you do that today? Make that decision today. Put your faith in Christ this morning. So that's the first question. Have you truly received Christ as your Savior? But if you can answer that question with a yes, a certain yes, then examine your heart now. Is Jesus first today? Not has he been first in your life? Not, not, not you know, is he sometimes first? But right now, I mean, in your heart at this moment, Would you say Jesus has the rightful place that he deserves in your life? And if not, this closing time of prayer is an opportunity for you to step back and let Jesus go first. Would you please bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. I'd ask that we just have a quiet moment right now. Not a lot of moving around. Just a thoughtful time. The first question was, are you sure... That you've received Jesus Christ as your savior. Is there anybody in here. You'd say pastor Ethan. I am not a hundred percent sure. I'm just not positive. That my sins are forgiven. Well I want to invite you. Whether you're in the room. Or you're watching on the live stream. I want to invite you right now. To bow your heart. Bow your head. And just admit to God that you're a sinner. You can pray something like this. Say dear God. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I deserve to be punished for my sins. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. Jesus, I ask you to save me. I put my faith in you. Not in myself, not on my religion, but I put my faith in you and you alone, Jesus. If you prayed that right now, if you're in the room and you prayed that right now, just to be sure, I'd like to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but would you just quickly slip up your hand and put it down? I won't call out your name, but if you'd say, Ethan, I just made sure right now. I wasn't sure, but I made sure that I was trusting in